Chapter Six of the Sacred Herb by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Startling discovery. Odor is one of the strongest aids which memory can have, and a chance whiff of a particular scent will recall to the most lethargic brain circumstances both trivial and important of long-forgotten years but the well-known fragrance of the tuberose usually brings funerals to mind since that flower is so extensively woven into burial wreaths and mortuary crosses it was strange indeed that it should conjure into an idle-thinking mind the vision of a heathen festival there were many people crowding the corridor so that it was impossible for the young man to tell who wore the flowers which gave forth the magical scent for magical it was in its effect they might adorn a man's buttonhole or a woman's bodice he could not tell since the evening dress of both sexes were veiled by voluminous dominoes but as he leaned against the wall the vision became clearer and more insistent his body was in london in alexander mansions at a masked ball as he well knew but the scent of the two bros had drawn his spirit across the leagues of trackless sea to the uttermost parts of the earth the present vanished and he beheld the past before him as the interior vision opened he saw colossal images of a vanished and forgotten race rudely hewn into the semblance of human beings each bearing a cylinder according to captain cook's description on its gigantic head these reared themselves from vast platforms of cyclopedian architecture overgrown with tropical vegetation and strewn with bleaching bones and in the soft radiance of the southern moon prelus beheld a kneeling crowd of bronze-hued worshippers tattooed and painted adoring the weird stone gods an old priest his face and body streaked with white pigment murmured strange names over a rude stone altar whereon blazed a clear fire he evoked terrible deities incarnate in the giant idols Kananaro, gotamora marapizi ariki and cast upon the flames the yellow leaves of a sacred herb a thick white cloud of smoke spread like a milky mist before the statues veiling their grotesque looks and vast outlines and the sickly scent of the two bros grew powerful then did the priest become rigid as the dead and his spirit blended with the spirits of those grim gods he worshipped finally the fragrance which loaded the heavy air whether of easter island or london prelis could not tell passed away and with that odor passed the vision it could only have lasted a minute or so but was so terribly vivid that prelis could scarcely believe that his surroundings were real when the material asserted its sway he had closed his eyes to behold the vision which the scent had invoked and opened them again with a bewildered expression to see the pushing laughing chattering throng of guests 
although a commonplace young man and contemptuous as a rule of the unseen he felt that the recollection had not been brought back for nothing the dead man at lanwin grange had been reading about easter island when foully stabbed and the accused girl had described to her lover the white smoke and sickly perfume which also had to do with that isolated land and mona also prelice remembered faithfully what shepworth had told him had been in a state of catalepsy like the priest of the vision and after all although he chose to call what he had seen mentally a vision it was simply a vivid recollection of what he and dr horace had beheld a year or two before but what had a fetish worship in easter island to do with a murder in kent that was a question which prelice could not answer there was no time to invent possible explanations or to reason out answers being in rome the momentary dreamer had to do as the romans did and as prelice was at a ball he was compelled out of courtesy to his hostess and host to enjoy himself he did not have far to go for an adventure as a lady in a blue domino and with a fringed mask to disguise her voice stole to his side and engaged him in airy conversation who she was the young man did not know and probably she was equally ignorant of his identity but on this especial night mrs rover's flat was liberty hall with a vengeance for men and women trusting in masks and dominoes for concealment flirted and danced and drank and laughed with one another in a most outrageous manner there was no need of introductions or of reticence or of timidity in that eden's bower of flowers and ferns faces were hidden but souls were revealed the blue domino proved to be a most charming companion full of fun and flirtation and a delightful dancer prelice found her extremely entertaining and she appeared to reciprocate the feeling after a particularly perfect waltz and an inspiriting glass of champagne his lordship did his best to lure the unknown into a corner where she might unmask but the lady shook her head laughingly and ran off to the ballroom with another man whose stature of a life guardsman had caught her roving eyes prelice solaced himself with another glass of wine and looked about him for another female of man it was then that a chuckle at his elbow made him turn now then now then said the gentleman who had chuckled let me come to refresh myself he spoke irritably and pushed past prelice in a hurry waiter waiter a glass of champagne i thought you were a teetotaler uncle whispered prelice mr haken betrayed by his chuckle and wheeled suddenly and spilt the wine he was about to sip to his nephew's surprise he was trembling and his stammering voice betrayed his agitation who who are you prelice whispered his name you needn't be alarmed he added i won't tell aunt sophia that you are accepting her enemy's hospitality haken drank off his wine in one deep gulp and set down the glass with his hand still shaking i would rather you did not tell her he said in a low tone 
Sophia dislikes Mrs. Rover and would be annoyed if she knew I was here. I have come on business. What? Business at a ball? Invent a more credible story, Uncle. It is true, insisted Haken, becoming more composed. I have to see a political man from the continent about a loan. He doesn't want it to be known that I am meeting him, so we thought that this would be the best place to ensure secrecy. Not a word of this, Prelice. Of course not, replied the young man, puzzled to know why Haken should take the trouble to explain. But don't mention my name. I also wish to be unknown. What are you doing here? asked Haken abruptly. I came to the ball, and also I have to see Ned Shepworth, who— Shepworth, gasped Haken, backing nervously. Oh, yes, friend of our charming hostess, friend of mine also. Is he here? No, he would not come to a ball when his promised wife is in prison. Of course not. Very creditable of him, to be sure, muttered Haken, and took another glass of wine with a whispered apology. I am teetotal as a rule, you know, but society always tries my nerves, and I need sustenance. I wish the man I have to meet here had chosen my office in the city. But it wouldn't have done, it wouldn't have done. There would be trouble were it known that he was in London. What is the time, Prelice? Don't mention my name, or I'll mention yours, said Prelice impatiently, and drew out his watch. It is eleven o'clock. Haken nodded. I must meet my man. Eleven-fifteen is the time. As to mentioning my name, what does that matter? I came here without my mask. Never thought of putting it on. Prelice nodded in his turn. I saw you when Rover received you. Then hold your tongue, hold your tongue, not a word to Sophia, mind? Not a word, Prelice promised gravely, and Mr. Haken, drawing a long breath, it would seem to be of relief at having extracted the promise, vanished into the many-hued crowd with his usual chuckle. While the millionaire gave vent to that chuckle, there did not seem to be much chance of his concealing his identity. Lord Prelice looked after him somewhat puzzled. He could quite understand why Haken did not want his wife to know of his presence in Alexander Mansions, but it was difficult to account for the old man's agitation and quite unnecessary explanations. As a rule, Haken was extremely reticent, and on such an important matter as a secret meeting with a continental diplomatist would be much more so. Yet he had gone out of his way to set himself right with his nephew, and by telling his private business, when a gay excuse of needing a night off would have been sufficient to account for his presence. However, Prelice simply shrugged his shoulders and did not deem the incident worth remembering. Why should not Simon Haken enjoy himself in this way if he liked, and turn Mrs. Rover's ballroom into an office, wherein to meet his foreign clients. All the same, and Prelice gave this a passing thought, it was strange that the chance meeting with one who knew him should so upset him. And it was still stranger that, if Mr. Haken wished to preserve his incognito, he should have arrived unmasked. 
having lost both his uncle and his charming blue domino prelice took a tour through the rooms in search of further adventures he could only afford a few minutes since he had to call upon shepworth at eleven o'clock and it was already that hour as he had told haken still a few minutes more or less would not matter and prelice wished to see if he could espy mrs dolly rover in order to renew his acquaintance with her and to compliment her on the success of her ball and it undoubtedly was a success for every one seemed highly amused and the laughter and small talk went on incessantly many people were dancing to the music of a gaily uniformed hungarian band and many more were ensconed in flirtation corners making the best of the hour which would elapse before every one unmasked for supper prelice therefore wandered leisurely throughout the two flats exchanging a few chafing words with the different women who addressed him and looking for the tall form of his hostess alas there were many tall women who looked as imperial and graceful as mrs rover and prelice felt like ali baba's robber when he examined morgiana's chalk marks on the various doors he therefore began by way of some diversion to admire the costumes of the women which showed themselves more or less plainly from under the flowing dominoes of silk in fact the heat of the night and of the rooms was so great that many ladies loosened the strings and buttons of their dominoes and permitted their frocks to be plainly seen they would have removed their mask also in some cases so stifling was the perfumed air but the rule of the ball stopped them from doing so still as many revealed the gowns they were wearing it was probable that some would pay for their flirtatious sins when the supper hour and recognition came the young man had an eye for color but knew very little about millinery so if any one later had asked him to describe the various dresses he would have been puzzled but one woman wore a dress which attracted him from its oddity it was a flowing gown of white silk and from hem to waist the skirt was adorned with triple lines at intervals of narrow red velvet the spaces between the triple lines were equal and the lines of red velvet themselves ran apparently entirely round the skirt the effect was bizarre and rather fascinating but what made prelice note the dress so exactly was the wonderful ubiquity of the lady who wore it he went into the ballroom of the right-hand flat and there she was dancing he strolled into the left-hand ballroom and found her flirting in a corner with another partner then he stumbled across her in the corridor and later discovered her at the buffet sipping champagne her domino was green as was her mask and she seemed to be in several places at once prelice was amused at her activity and at the way in which she seemed to permeate the entire place she was certainly getting all the enjoyment she could out of the ball he spoke to her once but she made no reply and disappeared before he could address her again rather annoyed that she would not respond prelice yawned and discovering that it was half-past eleven decided to descend and look up shepworth 
the stairs were crowded not only with people leaving and arriving but with flirting couples who were cooling themselves in the pure air which ascended from the main entrance of the mansions these expostulated loudly and sometimes silently if irritated gestures went for anything with those who pushed past them to go up or down prelice came in for his share of blame as he cautiously steered his way to the second floor here there were but few people as the guests kept to the third floor stairs and to those leading to the fourth a look at the left-hand door as he came down showed prelice that it was number forty so he pressed the button of the electric bell and waited for the door to be opened as he did so and while he was leaning against the wall still wearing his mask and domino the ubiquitous lady in the green domino with the oddly trimmed frock descended the stairs alone she cast a swift look at him as he passed and it was not until she vanished below that prelice became aware that the scent of tuberose was again in his nostrils he had half a mind to run after her and assuming the privilege of a masked ball ask her if she was wearing such a flower but in his idle way he did not think it worth while and remained where he was no one came to answer the bell so prelice judged that shepworth's servants were out perhaps fraternizing with mrs rover's domestics at the ball overhead he rang again however believing that shepworth must be within and awake by this time as again the door did not open prelice raised his hand to the knocker to his surprise the door yielded a trifle and then he discovered that it was slightly ajar but so little so that he had believed it to be closed for the moment there was no one on the landing so he stepped into shepworth's flat without closing the door after him i say ned ned are you in cried the young man pausing in the corridor which was similar to that overhead in mrs rover's flat i say ned it is me it is prelice and he slipped off his mask there was still no reply and then prelice smelt stronger than ever that strange odor which had evoked the easter island vision his thoughts again flew back to the heathen festival and he walked along the corridor wondering why the scent should follow him here on the left-hand side he peeped into a drawing-room but it was empty the door opposite was surely that of the dining-room it was closed but prelice opened it and walked in to look for his friend shepworth was in the room sure enough but prelice uttered an irrepressible cry when his amazed eyes fell on the barrister in a deep saddleback chair placed between the fireplace and the near window sat shepworth bolt upright with his hands resting upon his knees in the hieratic attitude of an egyptian statue his intently calm face was pearly white his brown eyes were fixed in a glassy unnatural stare and he appeared as rigid and stiff and unbending as though hewn out of granite there was no disorder about his clothing the evening dress he wore was as accurate and neat as though he had got ready to go to the ball overhead 
Creela stared at him, tongue-tied and motionless with astonishment. Then his eyes mechanically wandered round the room. They fell immediately upon another figure seated on the far side of the dining-table, with outstretched arms sprawling nervously across the cloth. On them rested a huge head covered with shaggy red hair. Drawn as by a lodestone, Prela stole forward with staring eyes, and saw, with a sudden shudder, that the man at the table was stone dead. He had been stabbed ruthlessly in the back, under the left shoulder-blade. Everything in the room was in absolute order. Only one man, dead, sat at the table, sprawling half across it, and the other man, insensible, was stiffly seated in the armchair, and the whole apartment was permeated with the scent which suggested Easter Island, suggested also that other murder at Lanwin Grange. End of chapter 6